0: Welcome back to pretend world's real people as always. I'm Tyler and uh, yeah, I had an exhausting weekend (laughs) I hope everybody else had a very relaxing one Uh, But I was relaxing on vacation for the first four days of last week and then the last three days of this previous week I was just flooded with self tapes, which is an amazing thing the second you go on vacation That's when things always happen, but uh, yeah, I'm a little tired from that. So I have a nice warm cup of coffee in front of me, and I'm ready to deliver this intro to you amazing listeners, because this week, we have a real treat. I have a friend of the show's friend, who's now a friend of the show. (laughs) Anyway, God, that was so stupid. (laughs) Emma King Farlow uh, was a previous guest I had on the show. She's a dear friend of mine. She told me this person would be amazing to have on the show, and he was he is an American-born artist who's now working full-time in the UK. He left a career in IT to craft a career for himself as a screenwriter. So he began just networking with industry professionals, with people who love film, and quickly developed a career in the lecture circuit as well. He, he gives lectures to screenwriting classes all around the UK, around Europe, around the US. He's just amazing. And his latest project is... Being adapted into a graphic novel. Like it, it's insane. I can't say anything else about the man he is. Incredibly endearing. He motivates me to write even more and I can only imagine where he's going to go from here. So let's uh let's get right into it. I'm going to shut up. Tired Tyler's going to shut up and I'm going to lead you right into this episode. Let's sit down. Let's have a chat with the amazing Bob Schultz.
1: Sure. Hi, I'm uh, I'm Bob Schultz. I'm a screenwriter slash independent producer, and like many people trying to make it in the writing game, I uh, I have a am an instructor, a teacher, a mentor, a, a, a lecturer, um, a, a reader. I give notes. Pretty much, uh, try to do anything I can to keep my feet wet in the world of movies and screenplays,
0: which is one of the hardest things you can do right like being a writer in general is terrible but you know being a screenwriter that's a whole other whole other gamble
1: well you know the 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 beauty of being a screenwriter the beauty of being a writer or working with writers is that we are simultaneously the most narcissistic people and the most self-loathing people at the same time um you know if i say uh if i finish writing something i will say i'm sorry t- t- you might have to cut this but i don't know how we feel about swearing
0: oh you can swear as much as you want
1: <laughs> oh great okay so i can finish writing something and um i can something and look at it and be like this is the worst piece of shit ever committed to paper But then as soon as I give it to somebody else for notes and they say, you might want to change this one little thing. I'm like, screw you. You don't know what I'm going for. How dare you? My perfect little baby is is outstanding. So it's, uh, and so I, it's, it's sort of reassuring to work with other writers and sort of learn that that particular brand of psychosis is not unique to me, that I'm part of a larger community of people who will simultaneously beat ourselves up and defend what we've written with our, with our lives. If we have to. Oh
0: my God. Yeah. Honestly, for myself, it took forever for me to give something I wrote to somebody and not feel so destroyed by their feedback and and use it as more of, as more of, you know, what it is feedback. Uh, How long did that take you to, to kind of shed the, (laughs) I don't want to call it narcissism, but just that that personal integrity we have to our writing and just let somebody rip it apart to make it better.
1: You know, I, my route to screenwriting was, I mean I don't know if it was unusual but the route to screenwriting sort of beat that out of me. I um I always wanted to be a writer. I've always loved reading and I've always wanted to put words on the page and I wrote short stories and so on and then I kind of moved into tech writing. Um you know so you know I would I would when when I graduated college I knew I wanted to travel around but I didn't have any money so I and the internet was just sort of getting geared up in terms of being able to fi- be a place to find work so i would take like a short kind of writing gig someplace writing a instruction manual for a cell phone or writing you know whatever i can and then you know like a six-week gig and and i would take i would rent a room in somebody's house so it would automatically have like locals that i could hang with and then after that and when that contract was running out i would take another one someplace else and so i traveled all around America. Um, doing these short little writing gigs. But then eventually due to some family illness and so on, I needed to be in a place for a while. So I I got a job as like the editor of a very small town newspaper and, you know, not, you know, the, the big news of the week would be, you know, what color they were going to paint the fire hydrants. It's not like I was breaking big news or anything, but I would write a a column every week, like an editor's column every week. And very often, my opinions did not sort of sync with the people of the community. And so people would write letters or come to the office and call me names and call me out. And sometimes, sometimes legit, you know, I was 24 and thought I knew everything in the world, but also, you know, sometimes not quite so legitimate, you know, I had a legitimate point, they wouldn't take it. But getting that sort of like direct, let's say feedback, but that direct criticism of what I wrote really hurt at first and then but eventually you sort of learn to sort of recognize that everyone's sort of coming from their own experience and have their own sort of journey they're going on. And so now though the people that were criticizing that were not looking to make my writing better. They were just they just had different political standing than I did and so on. But getting feedback on my screenplays took You know, it wasn't that much of a transition because they were people giving feedback are always trying to are very often trying to make your writing better. Um, It's not always the case, of course. I mean, anyone who's been in any sort of like movie made by committee kind of circumstance recognizes that everybody around the table has a voice and everyone around the table sort of wants to put their two cents in and it's not necessarily motivated by I want to make the movie better it could be I just want to impress the boss or you know we can get more money for the budget if we add this other thing or whatever so you know filmmaking is such a collaborative process. And screenwriting is such a solo solitary process that making that transition from page to screen can be pretty bumpy for a lot of, for a lot of, uh, a lot of writers. Um, I myself wrote something that got made and I got fired off the job because I just, I decided, you know, I was going to die on every hill and then eventually I died on one, you know, and it's a, it's a lesson that's learned the hard way, but, um, I'm better for it now, you know? So I think that each writing, each script is a process. And I think that as writers, we need to sort of really appreciate process more than we appreciate the end product, but each screenplay is a process, but also the development of the human being into becoming a writer is also a process that I think we're always, always, always undergoing. And, and as long as it being a writer is part of a, bigger mosaic that is a human life, um, that is a human life, the, uh, the more that we have to learn because we are, we are always changing. I am, I turned 52 in a couple of weeks and I'm about to have my third wedding anniversary. I mean, of my first marriage. So it's like to adjust my life to being a husband in just the last few years is, a real big transition for, for someone who is the living embodiment of you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Um, But, but but you see the world differently when you're part of a partnership or part of a family or, or whatever else. And so, and our writing, I think always is, is just a piece of that puzzle, but it reflects, it's, it's not so much a puzzle or a pie, it's more like a, more like a fractal or a crystal where like every facet of it sort of reflects on the other ones. And so who I am now is going to affect how I write now and what I write now, um, as opposed to what it might have been pre-pandemic or 10 years ago or 20 years ago. And that's why I think that it's such a little wonderful thing that we do insofar as something that could have been a perfect piece of writing to represent me 10 years ago. might I might read it today and be like, I don't know who this person is. <laughs> You know, and it's like, and it was me all along, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's crazy. It's, it's really something that I just cannot get enough of learning about. And I feel like I will, I can die at a hundred years old and still not have learned everything I can about the creative process and the learning process and, and the writing process and everything. It's, it's endlessly fascinating to me.
0: Yeah. Well, one, I want to say uh happy early birthday and congratulations on, you know, your third anniversary coming up.
1: Yeah. Thanks. It's a big time. Big summer. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's, you know what, it reminds me of, uh, I'm a huge fan of of podcasts and interviews, obviously. But I was listening to an interview with Mike Flanagan of The Haunting of Hill House and Dr. Sleep. And it's something I noticed when he was talking about his relationship and how it affected his writing later in life. And it was, you know, his writing became less cynical. So if you watch his earlier stuff, it's very bleak, very dire. And then he meets, you know, Kate Siegel, his, his wife, and, you know, his stories are filled with hope at the end, or there's like a, there's a there's a wrap up that's in a somewhat positive light. So I'm curious what has changed, if anything, has changed in your writing since meeting your your wife?
1: You know, it's funny. Um, My wife, my wife tells the story of when she knew I was the one Um, was she she we were dating. And, you know, kind of you know casually like not seeing each other all that often and then um there was a john carpenter film festival here in london and (laughs) she she's like i want to go see prince of darkness and i've and i want to go see prince of darkness would you like to go and um i said sure i mean i i my favorite john carpenter is they live um but I had never seen Prince of Darkness. And, and so I was like, sure, I'd love to. So we went and we we're hanging out and everything. And that, I mean, I knew I got pretty close to the notion that she was pretty special when she invited me to see Prince of Darkness on the, on the big screen, but then the movie ended and we're sitting there and I said to her, that movie was awful. I loved it. Right. And she was like, oh, boy, I think I got one here, you know, um, where we can sort of see eye to eye. So like the the the, and then, of course, during the whole pandemic and 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 she was sick for a while and everything. And so like there is there is a like movies have been part of our relationship, an, an integral part of our relationship from the very beginning um and our love of you know our love as they say over here in England their love of film and cinema as opposed to movies in the theater but it's um but like all of that stuff was was a big deal and you know then we you know for somebody with a little bit of a you know an ego surrounding his taste in movies i always found thought of it as like a guilty pleasure or something to be embarrassed about that i have a real weakness for uh the like Hallmark Christmas movies, <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, they all are exactly the same, but I like, you know, there were one trick pony, but I like the trick, so I like the pony. Um, and uh, and but she's like, I like them too. And so, like, we all Christmas time long, we just have the Christmas channel on, and it's like, okay, who's the woman who's gonna wind up having to quit her job in order to find the man she loves, who's like a rugged lumberjack or whatever? It's like, there she is, okay, we get it. you know, it's um, it's it's just so much fun. So, what I write, I think. I'm sorry I'm kind of rambling on a bit, but t- to answer your question, the I always try to think in terms of when I'm writing, I write for a particular reader or a re- particular mm. audience. Um, generally speaking, the audience that I write for is 15-year-old Bob. Mm. Okay, so I'm like, if, if 15-year-old me would have thought something was cool, I'll write it you know, um, so that's sort of what my audience, so like, it's not exactly, so it's like, you know, it's, it's Carpenter stuff or Cronenberg stuff or, you know, or, or broad, broad, broad comedy like Airplane, um, you know, that kind of thing, that 15 year old Bob who would go to the video store and then come back with a stack of 10 VHS tapes to watch over the, over the weekend, that kind of thing. Um, but now that I've, now that I've met my wife, I also try to kind of write for her as well hmm. so i write like a, a little bit more low budget horror than i would have before <laughs> and I'm, I'm working on a christmas project right now um so it's uh so it's it's i mean i'm working on three different things right now but one of them is a christmas project and um it's um it's tremendous fun to sort of think what would what would deborah like and and do it and in fact she's not a writer but she is excellent sounding board for me as a writer i I don't mind giving away what i'm working on right now i'm not particularly precious about it um so i had an idea i was texting something and i needed to use the word sasquatch in the in the text and because i have big fat thumbs there's a typo and i put i dropped a d in there so it said sasquad instead of sasquatch it was like sasquad A team of Sasquatches. Okay, I now so now I have an idea about a team of crime-fighting Sasquatches, right? That like they work, they work underground and they try to keep secret, but they fight for justice. And so I'm like, okay, so I don't know exactly what it is, and I'm typing it out and I'm coming up with ideas and outlining and throwing out and going through index card after index card, throwing them away. They're just that's just not right, just not right. And she's like, how's it going? And I said, you know, Deborah, it's I just can't quite get a beat on what Sasquatch is. And she's like, team of underground crime fighters. It's the A team, isn't it? And I was like of course it's the team. So now I know who all the characters are. It's like the 18 with Sasquatches. And it's like, somehow, like when I think, I know a lot of writers, myself included, go through these phases where it's like, I can't see the story for this. I can't see the story for the story. It's like, I'm so bogged down in the details. I can't see the, the through line, the arc exactly what this thing is clearly. And she just cuts through all the crap. and It's like, this is what it is. Right. And I'm like, that is exactly what it is. Thank you. You know? And, um, you know, she I, I don't know that she's ever tried her I don't think she's ever tried her hand at screenwriting, but that like that clarity of story, the, the notion that stories are like you look in my room now, it's just ambient light, there's just light everywhere, but that's not story. Story is focused like a laser beam. It puts power into light, it puts strength into light. And and it's very crisp, it has clear lines. Screenwriting does. I mean, it's, novel writing can be sort of all over the place, but screenwriting is very directed. And the, that she can identify that laser beam in a way that I sometimes miss. It blows my mind every time. Like, why couldn't I see it? You know, and then I can write it. And I'm like, then I'm one of those people who's like, you know, sitting there writing, just typing long, talking about other things, taking phone calls, doing whatever, you know, it's like, cause like the story's just sort of telling itself and, and that's amazing, but I don't think I'd be where I am in terms of the stories that I'm writing or the clarity in those stories or, or what those stories ought to be in order to be most effective if I didn't have my wife to bounce the ideas off of. So in a very, very specific, direct way, getting married has helped my writing. It, it's, helped, it's helped me to actually put words on the page, you know, in a way that I'm happy with. Wow.
0: I mean, yeah, from the sounds of it, it, it just, it sounds like you found your are you're their life partner, right? Like this person yeah. will just, like I said, she, she cuts through the crap and goes, Oh yeah, that's, that, that's amazing. Yeah, uh, I, <laughs> It's, it's, uh, it's an immense gift too. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if you guys, if you haven't already just tried writing something over a holiday just to see what happens.
1: It would be, it would be a treat, you know, yeah. it's very, it's, I find my writing to be very, um, momentum based. I can write if I write for 8 hours in a day I'll write a lot more than if I write an hour a day over 15 days. You know what I mean? It's like if you sit down and the ball starts you, you can push the snowball and it's got to roll down the hill. So, you know, so it's it's it would be a matter of sort of finding time where we both have a lot of time together and then but I feel like I would also fall into my habit of being of just going wait 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 I got something here I'm going going rather than actually talking it out. I I've, I've never really written with a writing partner side by side like i've i've i do a lot of rewriting work so you know hmm. i'm behind on one right now in fact and and it's uh but you know someone writes a first draft and sends it to me and i rewrite and send it back that kind of thing um or vice versa but never a kind of thing where we're sort of sitting in the same room although i'm fascinated by that process you know I, i'm i'm friends with uh dave reynolds He he wrote uh you're finding Nemo. He wrote the emperor's new groove, mm-hmm. but he started off on, um, started off on Conan O'Brien's late night show. And he always talks about in the room, pitching jokes and so on. And I'm like, it's not something I think it's not a skill set that I think I have to be that quick and to sort of be that collaborative with people, but I'm so fascinated by it. I feel like I would love to be like invisible and watch that process happen, um, and be awestruck by it. So, you know, I've, I would of course love to write something with my wife. Um, I don't know if she'd be so interested, and I only hope that I can sort of—I don't know—I would love if I could, you know, help her in terms of whatever her creative endeavor is. You know, she she sort of tries different things, uh, whatever she's doing at the time. I try to help her to in the same way, you know, um, as she helps me. But it's uh, it's it's great to be sort of in a situation where you have a partner who believes in you despite any evidence to the contrary. Yeah, <laughs> you know. <laughs>
0: i know exactly how you feel yeah, yeah i there um you'd mentioned something previously about you know i get more done uh, as far as momentum goes if i work like eight hours a day instead of one hour over the course of like 15 days and i feel the exact same way i have to give myself a deadline and i have to go into that full time and you know i'll <laughs> i'll be writing in in my office and my my girlfriend will lean in and say what, what should we be about again and i'll just ramble. Oh, it's about remote viewing. And then I'll just kind of go back into it. Like, it's a completely normal thing to just yeah. kind of shout out, yeah. go, go back to it. So, um, yeah, I think a lot of writers are, uh, you know, sitting there saying, oh, I'm not alone because a lot of us do have to sit there for a little while and let things kind of ruminate and ferment instead of just saying 60 minutes a day. Yeah. Cause I feel like there's a disconnect in your, your pages there for, for most writers, if you just write for one hour a day,
1: yeah, I mean, look, I, I'm not I'm not pointing any fingers at anybody or, or criticizing anyone if that's your process and if you can do it. I mean, I know people have, they have kids and they have doctor's appointments and they have yeah. their day job and all this other stuff. So maybe an hour a day is all you can get and you sort of develop the ability to do that. And And I mean, good for you. I wish I could. <laughs> I wish I could, you know, I wish I could be like on the bus and like have my little laptop out and just, you know, say, okay, I'm going to bang out three pages while I go, while I'm traveling to this other place. It's just not how it works for me. But what you can, what I can do and what I do do is always sort of like being aware of my environment and the conversations going on around me and so on. So that if there's a a funny turn of phrase somebody says or or a you know an interesting situation or somebody who might develop into a character or something, I jot it down or I send myself a note on my phone or something. So I have this gigantic file word file on my desktop of just like ideas and lines of dialogue and scenes that I had to cut because they didn't work in the thing and so on things that I am if if evidence is to be believed only the the evidence if the evidence is to be believed they only um these things only putting them in the file is enough because I never go back to the file <laughs> you know it's like I'm glad to know they're there, but it's like now it's 200 pages long, and I'm never going to read it. So, so I'm just happy to have it sitting there, never to be seen again. um But if I were to cut it and and kill it and delete it forever, I wouldn't be happy with that. So I just sort of accept myself as someone who will have this file on his desk, and then when I die, when someone's going through my computer, be like, "What's this?" and be like, "Oh my God, Bob was fully insane with voices in his head and, and creating a manifesto." Um, but that's what it is to be a writer, though, isn't it? It's like you 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 try to stitch together things that don't seem related in order to say something important about the world. Yeah, yeah,
0: it's like you're constantly trying to put together a puzzle where the pieces don't necessarily match. And yeah, the overall image has that that thematic element to it. it it's a it's a crazy, um, yeah. Like I imagine what <laughs> what people would compare to a character in a show or a film. Uh, having like the red yeah, twine kind of like going to different points all around <laughs> a room. And they go, no, it makes complete sense. And the other characters are standing there going, you are absolutely out of your mind, man. There's no <laughs> yeah. way it makes sense. Yeah. Uh, thank you
1: for pointing <laughs> that. Out. I, I have one of those paranoid boards in my head. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like no, it
0: all connects. It's Kennedy and it's Culver's. Like, okay. All right, this is not going to work. Uh, but I, I am curious, man, like how, how did you, Get started in in screenwriting, was it something you wanted to do you know from the jump when you were renting you know movies as a kid and just sitting out and, and absorbing all that information? How did that come to be? Well, I mean,
1: I always wanted to write, you know, and it was short stories and it was in the newspaper but um, I kind of steered clear of wanting to be a screenwriter because from a, a very young when I was i don't know ten or twelve or something, my father got very very sick and he was sick for a long time mm-hmm. um before he finally died, and the, you know, the the pressure was never put on me to be the man of the house, even though I was the oldest son, quote-unquote man of the house. But regardless of that, I mean, I'm, I'm underselling it. It's not that I was, that pressure was never put on me. My mother specifically said, you are not the man of the house now. You're 12 years old. We are a family. We're going to get through this together, Right. But nevertheless, the instinct kicked in that I was the man of the house now. And so I was helping take care of my brothers and I was going to school. And where I found my escape was in those movies, you know. And so I kind of wanted that to be safe space. And I didn't want to sort of try to write it and get into it. But eventually, I reached a point where I did want to write screenplays. And I started, this was around the year 2000. And I was and I was sort of dabbling with it. I'd come home from work. And I was working in IT at the time, uh, just, you know. Writing down ideas. I wrote a screenplay that I thought was the greatest thing ever. And it turns out it's awful, like everyone's first project, you know. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but I, you know, I wrote one and everything and I kind of liked it. And then we had just sort of crossed over into 2001 and I decided I wanted to take a shot at it, you know. And so circumstances sort of helped me because since I was working in IT and there was a lot of, work and therefore money in the Y2K bug, um, I was doing okay and I had a little bit of money set aside. And now it's 2001 and the company I was working for was laying people off. And the whole industry was, cause like we didn't need anyone working on the Y2K bug anymore. And, you know, and so the writing was on the wall for the industry as a whole. And I knew I wanted to be a writer. So I sort of just made the decision. I'm not happy what I'm doing. And other people I work with are happy with what we're doing And I want to write. So if I just resign, someone else won't get laid off, you know? And so, I mean, I'm not saying I was being heroic. I was happy to leave, but it's like, but it was also like the timing was right. Very often we all know what the jump is, but we were afraid to take the jump, but the timing was right. And so I, I decided I'm going to be a screenwriter. And so I moved to another town, the town where I'd gone to college, shout out to Ithaca, New York. And I, um thought of screenwriting as my day job and then i took a couple jobs at night one i was helping run a small independent movie theater and the other one i was checked i was like the bouncer at a bar i was checking ids at, at a bar oh, wow. um and uh and so those jobs paid the bills i got a very low cost apartment and so on didn't have a car so those jobs paid the bills and i would get up nine, ten o'clock each morning, because you know, both of those are late night jobs. So I, I get up nine or 10, 10 o'clock in, each morning, have breakfast, sit down on my computer and write for the day. You know? Um, and uh I wrote and I wrote and I wrote and I wrote and some of it was good and some of it wasn't so good and some of it was good enough that if I rewrote it a few times it would get better. Like I got better at the job. And uh and then eventually I and I subscribed to or picked up every now and then a creative screenwriting magazine back when magazines were on paper. And uh, you know, I'd read about the industry and what's going on and so on. And then creative screenwriting put on a conference in LA. So I went to LA and I met a bunch of other writers and I met, some people who were putting on another conference in in Canada and so on. And I started working with them and I started working with these screenwriting conferences so that, and as a result of that, they had pitching aspects to them where they pitched production companies and so on. And um, as a result of that, I would start meeting people and start, you know, getting to know folks and, 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 you know, and making sort of friends in the industry. And look, I know that I'm a halfway decent writer, but, the 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 film industry runs on who you know so much i'm sure it's true with acting too right i mean i'm i imagine that you go out and and audition a certain amount but then also you probably get some opportunities where it's just someone's like you know hey man someone dropped out can you step yeah. in you know that <laughs> kind of thing and and you only like get those opportunities if you're out there sort of churning the water and getting known and getting seen and i was and you know i was applying i'm i'm applying for lecturing jobs here i lecture at a university in bristol um but i'm applying for a job at uh, nyu's london uh london school and there's one position that i'm underqualified for and i like i think i'll apply anyway cuz it's like once you sit down in someone's office and talk with them maybe they'll think of you for something else you know yeah. so it's like it's always sort of like being out there um which is what i do with those conferences and and then, you know, one thing led to another and I started producing with somebody and we produced a couple things together and, and uh, you know, I came over here and I, and I befriended the people at the London Screenwriters Festival. So I have friends over here too. And now a lot of the work I get here comes via the, through people that I met at the London Screenwriters Festival. It's a, a guest speaker is doing a thing. And so he calls me and says, can you help? Or somebody says, I know that you our writer, we need a writer to sort of just consult on this idea. Can you, can you sit in for a little bit of something? So it's how I got started was taking that first step off the cliff mm. and trusting there's water in the gorge below. Um, you know, um, but then it's just always about, it's about finding that time to actually put words on the page, of course, but it's also about meeting people and doing things and shaking hands. I mean, during COVID of course, shaking hands metaphorically speaking, but it's like, you know, shaking hands and seeing people and being available and I mean, I get a lot of people approach me for work because they've seen me on stage giving a course, like privately, not even as part of university or anything, giving a course on like act structure or character development or or you know what how to inject your your thing your 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 script with theme or whatever else and i did that for the first time because i was asked and i try to make it happen to say yes as much as i can and now i make a decent amount of my living going to places like you know all over england going to sweden going to australia whatever and giving these courses going to going to, to rome and giving these courses despite the fact that i have terrible terrible stage fright I just know that I need to sort of face that fear in order to continue servicing the writing that I want to do. Yeah. And so, you know, you come up with rituals. I'm sure you, I'm sure this is true of actors too. You come up with rituals to sort of get yourself in that right headspace and then get out there and do the fit, do your thing. And, um, but as long as I, you know, and sometimes it happens that that sort of takes over, that day job kind of takes over your life and you, I become a lecturer who doesn't write a lecturer about writing instead of a writer who lectures mm. um but um it's but you try to just drag yourself back to don't forget this is all supposed to be about the writing and then and then you just reset readjust fix it you know fix it if it's broken every step of the way it's it, it's like uh that old thing about a person trying to like build a bridge across the river and they have to like build the bridge as they're walking yeah. <laughs> you know
0: yeah. Well, I mean, uh, with the stage fright part of it, there is something in in acting or like live performance where uh, we will go do something, and then somebody after the last year will ask you, "Well, how'd it go?" And you'll say, "I don't know. I kind of I don't know. Out. <laughs> yeah, like I don't know. I don't know how how it came out." So, like, what's your what is your decompression method after you know those lecturing circuits or after a, a giant seminar you do? Do you have something that'll kind of help you? just sort of shed it away and not think about it so you can go back into that writing mode
1: um well i mean no if i if i'm lecturing that day's done you know i mean i do not go write immediately um i i just i don't have it but like it's i it's such hard work for me to get into character and like you said it's funny you said that because i completely relate about fully fully blacking out You know, like I have no memory of anything that was said, you know, like there was one I was it was a few years back and uh, I don't remember what the context was, but I had cause to mention Burt Reynolds in the in the course of the the thing. So like Burt Reynolds, you know, so, you know, you're Burt Reynolds, you're driving, you're, you know you need to be a rebel. You need to, you know, a rebel who's a hero. You need to, you know, drive your black Trans Am and get all the beer to Texarkana from from Atlanta, whatever. And um, someone approached me later on that, like, like, as I left, I was, I left the stage and I was walking down the corridor, probably to go to the bathroom and somebody said, you know, said, Hey Bob, I don't know if you heard, but Burt Reynolds died today. And I was like, Oh, that's a shame. Not the bandit, you know? And they're like, yeah, but you mentioned him on stage. I'm like, oh yeah, I guess I did, didn't I? <laughs> like, like, I don't know who that is, but on stage, but it's not me. And um, and so the decompression just comes from gradually coming back into reality. And if I'm part of a larger event, or if I have to do something directly after the lecture, that's that's then that decompression kind of happens gradually. But like when I'm lecturing in in Bristol, for example, I live in London, um, and it's like a two hour train ride between London and Bristol. Now, I don't go every day, but, but like, you know, I will finish my lecture and then I will like walk to the pub that's right near the train station and I'll have a pint just to sort of unwind. And then I'm like, I wonder how that went today. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then when I get on the train, I always have have like ambitions. of I'm going to write or I'm going to grade, grade some, uh, some screenplays or something. Mm-hmm. But instead I swear to God, all I do is I like, I want, I, my brain is so fried I watch like is it cake or something I watch like the least the least challenging thing I can find (laughs) like on my phone on the train that's
0: fair you need something that it's it's just like I don't know uh mentally almost numbing
1: (laughs) you don't have to think about it (laughs) yeah I mean I I get I get exhausted I am I'm an introvert in so far as I get exhausted by speaking and i get two people you know and i get exhausted by presenting and i get exhausted by being asked a lot of questions and you know in in moderate doses of course it's fine but you know when i'm lecturing for six or six or eight hours or i'm doing three courses in a day or something i am cooked You know, and my brain can only handle something—something that just will not challenge it whatsoever—which is troubling because I like to watch a lot of shows. I mean, right before I started talking to you, I watched last night's episode of Better Call Saul, and that is a show that rewards paying close attention to. You know, and there are lots of shows that are—I'm not saying this in a dismissive way. There are lots of shows that are fun but you can sort of also noodle around on your phone or something while you're watching it. Um, but they're still fun and full of energy. And believe me, after what the last few years have been like, those shows have tremendous value to like for people's mental health. It is certainly not a criticism at all, but I couldn't watch a better call, Saul. I can't watch, um, the offer, the thing about the making of the Godfather or whatever, oh God. yeah. when I'm in that cook state of mind, cause I really want to just drink it all in and absorb it. Um, a lot of what I write is of that first kind I'm the stuff that I write as I think is a lot closer to, is it cake than it is to the Godfather. Um, but, uh, so I have a lot of love and respect for those things. The best stuff I think is the stuff that works on both levels. I mean, you can watch jaws as a masterclass in screenwriting and filmmaking, or you can watch it as just a great summertime popcorn blockbuster thriller. Um, and enjoy it on both levels and that's why it's it's endured for as long as it has you know it's yeah. it so i i would love to be able to write something that is that works on both levels but by and large i think a lot of that has to do with the filmmakers too you write something and then eventually you sort of have to let it go and let the filmmakers sort of take your baby and turn it take the seed and nurture it into a flower you know what i mean yeah. um so it's uh you never quite know what it's going to look like um but that's why i feel like it's very important to learn to love writing more than to love having written
0: mm. oh yeah. yeah yeah that that's incredibly important and you know what it does uh that that does help kind of pivot into another question i had for you which was you know you're saying you know you're uh much like most writers are we're all naturally introverted and you know just interacting with people all day every day gets crazy exhausting and we just want to kind of like take a nap at five o'clock in the afternoon, uh, afterwards. But when it comes to say directing one of your projects, what was, what was that like? I mean, how much caffeine did you go through?
1: (laughs) That was, I'm ashamed to say a total disaster. Um, I'm not a, I'm, I'm just not a director by nature. And you learn that by trying, you know, um, it's, it's, I find, I think directing, is the opposite of screenwriting in a lot of ways, and God love the writers who can do both. Mm. You know, with with all the respect in the world to Aaron Sorkin and to you know um, uh, Jordan Peele and to, and to all these all these writers who can also direct. I think that people who've written things that they've directed very often are directors who are just writing something that they want to direct, you know, and I have tremendous admiration for that. I have tremendous admiration for every director, even ones who maybe aren't as successful, what they do as they would like mm-hmm. um, or, or direct projects that maybe I'm not a hundred percent behind. Um, but the way that I kind of picked, I, I, Envision screenwriting and the way that i the the mission that I think that I have as a screenwriter is to give the reader an amazingly entertaining experience on the page hmm. You know I think that Tarantino's another one who if you read his screenplays, they're entertaining on the page, but also clearly he's writing it's mostly notes to himself about what should happen when he directs it, you know um which is very entertaining as well. And you can tell that it's different for him because the screenplay for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is different from the novelization he put out of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because telling the story is different from writing the screenplay in order to direct it. So so I think my job is to give an entertaining experience on the page, but also I think a writer's job is to stimulate and excite the imagination of the reader so that the, the story takes place in the reader's mind, right? It's, 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 if if I write my thing properly, then you're going to have a great time reading it. Even if what you're imagining is different from what I'm imagining. Okay. It is not, my job is not to take what I'm imagining and lock it in on the page. Other writers probably think of it differently, but that's how I see it. And then a director's job is to take that thing that is, that has been Percolating in their imagination, and solidify it into one specific thing. The film becomes the thing, right? So, we've all had this experience where you read a book and love the book, and then the movie comes out and it's like, yeah, it just wasn't. The book was better, or it wasn't quite what I thought of it as. And that's because what's on the film is the what was in the imagination of the director, not what was in the imagination of you as the reader of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're they're naturally going to be different. And I think that's the magic of it. So I found that I just didn't have the skills, didn't have the energy, didn't have the willpower, didn't have the the leadership ability, all these things to take what was in my imagination and confine and for lack of a better word, imprison it on film, Hmm. you know? Um, And, uh, and, you know, I, I think that there are plenty out there. Like you look at like, you know, the, the, Improvisational comedies of Christopher Guest, uh, Best in Show, and and Waiting for Guffman. These, where there is, a lot of, ability for everyone's imagination to become part of it, you know. um, And so, you know, maybe if I took another shot at it and it was more of a collaborative kind of thing, it would work. But I just did not have the skills for what I needed to do, and I think probably there were a lot of people disappointed with that experience as well. and i regret that but you know lessons have been learned yeah. <laughs> and and i think that i'm better at i think i'm better at writing i think i'm better at inspiring people to go out there and do their thing hmm. than i am at going out there and doing that particular thing um uh so you know i mean I'll tell you what, though, I I am having I I am working on a project. It slowed down a little bit lately, but I'm working on a project that I wrote as a screenplay. um, And every time I pitched it, uh, I mean, I knew it was never going to get made, but every time I pitched it, someone said, man, the person would say something along the lines of, man, you know, I will never make that movie, but. I have got to read it. It sounds insane. And so I got a lot of reads off it and someone finally came back to me and said, you know, this should be a a graphic novel. So now I'm working on something as a graphic novel and that's a form that I'm still pretty, that I'm not unfamiliar with, but that that I haven't done a lot of. And it forces you to really think visually because you're describing what's happening in each panel of the page. And you need to think about your dialogue being short enough to fit into a word bubble. And you need to, you know, you need to think about what's going to be on that last panel to make someone want to turn the page and everything. So it it forces me to think about my story in a more visual way, which is closer to directing. Um, But still, I, you know, even when I describe what's on the panel, I think in terms of, the dinosaur tears the guy's arm off and then i want the artist i wouldn't work with an artist who didn't have their own vision you know i want them to sort of like say what that would look like yeah you know and what that <laughs> and and so on and, and like you know really flex your muscles man you know and um, so it's directing was was not for me um i have tremendous amount of respect for directors mm. in the same way that uh you know pole vaulting is not for me, but I have a lot of respect for pole vaulters because I can't do it. Um, but, but it's, uh, I have a lot of respect for directors, but I also think it's, I love that, like, I love that feeling of writing something and then putting it in the hands of somebody else and it turning into something other than what I imagined. Mm. I mean, I have done, just to sort of get an ear for the dialogue or whatever, I have done like table reads of my yeah. of my work, you know, assign a character to each person and then and then have them read it out loud and you know actors will read a line and sort of inject an emotion into it or or inflections or stresses on syllables or whatever that maybe I didn't necessarily envision in the first place. And it takes the character and it takes the story in a completely different direction. And even that, just sitting around a table with iced tea is is not iced tea, the actor, iced tea, like we all have a drink something to drink. Just sitting around <laughs> the table table very informally. Um of well, all sitting around the table informally and just seeing, seeing like how little bits of my story can sort of come to life, like a little, little plant poking through the soil that I didn't know was there at all, is like to me, it's incredible. It's amazing. It is so amazing to see that happen. That maybe I kill that thrill when I sit down and try to storyboard everything and tell the actors what they need to do, or whatever. I I lose that aspect of it that I love so much, which is that thrill of, that thrill of not knowing where the end result will be of a thing that i created Mm. i feel like it it must be like i mean i don't have any kids but it must be what it's like to have a kid it's like (laughs) you raise a kid to a you raise a child to a certain age and then it's like all right go out in the world and make something of yourself and you don't know what it is but you've done the best that you can to this date until you finally have to shove them out of the nest and you know i sort of see screenplays the same way i think it's i think it's it's tremendous but to answer your question uh, if anyone out there is looking for a director for their project, uh, call somebody else. I can recommend some people, <laughs> but I'm not your guy. <laughs> but
0: I mean, like you said, producing it because I'm a. I've gone back into comics and graphic novels after I don't know, like ten, twelve years of of thinking. Yeah, that's that's not something I'm interested in anymore. But there is so much um, like creative freedom within that that doesn't involve you know working an 18 hour day with actors who were tired and losing it and people worried about, well, hopefully they're not worried about money um, and certain time constraints. But now that you're kind of diving into that area, do you feel like the graphic novel uh, uh, approach to your storytelling might be another way to go? Like, do you feel better about, about doing that more long-term or how how do you feel so far about that?
1: I mean, the answer is yes. I'm really loving it. I mean, it's sort of in, the the beauty of one of the challenges in filmmaking of course is budget yeah. um and when it comes to drawing graphic novels it costs just as much to draw a gigantic space battle as it does to draw two people sitting in a room so the so the the opportunities for what you the stories you want to tell kind of grow mm-hmm. um and because it doesn't have to be big i mean Mouse wanted pull Pulitzer Prize. That's not a big story. Um, you know, um and and it's it's also amazing and and Road to Perdition, another kind of smallish story, you know, which human story, let's say. That would be but that would be expensive on film because it's period piece with all the costumes and everything. Mm-hmm. Um so that works that so it helps with budget where budget is concerned now, but it's not zero budget. You know, I mean the yeah. I'm a enthusiastic believer that when possible, everybody should get paid artists, pay artists, pay writers, pay actors, pay singers, voiceover artists, whatever. Um, You'll be getting my invoice for this podcast, by the way. No, just oh, yeah. $500. <laughs> <in the
0: minutes. laughs>
1: um, but so I'm a firm believer in paying everybody. Um, So like, the guy who's done some of the initial artwork for my, for my thing just was a friendly and said, I'll be happy to just do like a cover image and a page for you or something like that. Wow. So like, but if I were to go ahead, like I've written a couple of the issues, I think it's going to be a nine issue one. I want to get them all done beforehand, but then, then it's going to be a crowdfunding scenario and having some initial, having some initial artwork is going to help on a crowdfund. So it's like an investment and I hope to get him back. Um, but, but I love the I love writing in that form. It's too soon yet for me though to under, to determine whether I love the form or I just kind of like the novelty of writing in a new form. You know, yeah. it could be I, I get tired of that format. But I will tell you what it, for, I, I recommend it to everybody just because it forced me to think about a story I'd already written in a completely different way. And I think that when you think about stories in completely different ways, you you reveal you unpack new opportunities within that story you know it's like i have a a, i have a character in the story she's in the armed services but she's physically much smaller than everybody else right and so you know i say she's very small bump up and then uh in the screenplay but then when it comes to the when it comes to the 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 graphic novel i need to sort of say okay how do i represent this so then there's a scene where everybody needs to like put their eye in like a in a thing a security thing right to, re- to like for a retinal scan yeah. and the two guys just lean in and put the thing she and ha- she needs like a boost up in order to do it right and so there's a there's a panel where you see the guys from like the chin to the middle of their chest and then you see the top of her head you know this kind of thing <laughs> and so it's like you can get the laughs and you can get the you can get get the impression across with one panel um Whereas in a film, it would be like I'd mention it in passing, but then it's like, who do we cast? we can't cast this person because this person playing this other character is not tall enough to make that difference and so on. And now people just are represented by how I say it just because I say it, uh, which is cool. And um, you know, and you find opportunities for little side jokes and 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 what specific things look like in, in the screen in the screenplay, it just said interior, the Oval Office. But then in the in the graphic novel, it says, interior of the Oval Office, and then I have a little description. This president's Oval Office is more built around the sidebar so that he can get to his whiskey as fast as he wants and anything else, right? So so it's like, so that the artist knows what to draw, Mm. I need to think about what's going on there, but not just what does it look like, but how can the things reveal something about the character? How can things reveal something about the story? Um, And I find that to be an awful lot of fun, which maybe is too much of a degree of detail to put into a... uh, a screenplay that would be something like when you're in production then you then you go to the set deck and say you know okay here's how I want it to look go ahead and find all these different pieces of stuff and so on um, and the director would make that decision but okay. now I can say here's what I want it to look like on the page so that anyone who's paying close attention to the art will learn something about the characters or the story or the themes or whatever and I really 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 kind of enjoy giving that level of instruction but still leaving enough flexibility for the person to be creative within that and so maybe to that degree i'm comfortable being a director but only into a comic book and not into an actual production
0: yeah it seems like you have found that sort of tarantino uh level of like detail and comfort in your story within the graphic novel space (laughs) you heard it here first folks on
1: pretend world's real people bob schultz equals quentin tarantino
0: <laughs> it's it's been inked that is that is what is happening right now. Uh I uh I love asking this question and I am very uh excited to hear your answer but if you have a uh, like a party story you could share with our our listeners so something that uh, doesn't take place at a party unless it it does for the context of the show but uh something that happened in your life or something you experienced that was so impactful you could easily recount the details of that interaction or experience at a party with your friends, or you feel inclined to share that story. Do you have something Mm -hmm. like that in your, uh, your repertoire that you could share with our listeners?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a challenging one.
0: Um, It could be, you know, uh, anything from, from writing uh, back when you were in Ithaca working, you know, late at night and then finishing a script could be uh, directing breakdown lane. It could be anything, Uh, but something that, that kind of stands out to you.
1: Um. Yeah, you know, I there are several stories that I tend to go back to. Here's here's one. Here's here. This is one of those classic stories where I'm not a hundred percent sure that it actually happened, or if I've sort of extrapolated it in in my brain. <laughs> um. So, but uh, uh, we were at uh Toronto Film Festival and. We were trying to, you know, talking about distribution on one of the films or whatever and seeing some movies and so on. And at that time, China was just like opening up to, you know, having films shot there and so on. And and so Keanu Reeves did a a film, shot a film there called Man of Tai Chi, which I think he also directed. And um, and. So he and his distributor and I think one of his producing partners or somebody were on a little panel about shooting in China. Right. And, and there was, and, and so, you know, it was an interesting panel. There's interesting information to be had. And then at the end, everything wrapped up and people, you know, everyone in the audience got up and sort of moved forward to sort of chat with the panelists. And of course the entire world was crowded around Keanu. Now I wanted to chat with, the distributor guy, because I wanted to learn about distribution in China. So I'm standing over here um, and chit-chatting and, 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 you know, sort of waiting my turn. There was just a couple people ahead of me, but I'm looking over here at the, at the, at the conversation, at people crowded around Keanu, right. And somebody's like, you know, Keanu, Keanu. And this kid took his shot. You know, it was like, piano man, I love you. I have so much respect for you. I really just want to break into this industry. I I would do anything. I'll fetch coffee for you, do anything. Can you please just give me an opportunity? You know, can I, please let me break in. And Keanu Reeves said, I respect what you're doing. I'm not going to hire you, but here's some advice. Stay true to yourself, be kind always, and good things will come to you. And just be nice, you know, be kind always. And um, I thought, man, that you know, first of all, that's the best way to burst somebody's dream bubble is to like be <laughs> encouraging and nice and sweet about it. Um, and you know, be kind always is something I took to my heart, which let's be fair, I I let myself down on that sometimes, but I try, you know. Um, but uh I because I'm somewhat tall and Keanu Reeves is tall, and everyone else was like, Beneath beneath. I couldn't I made eye contact with Keanu Reeves and I said did you just tell them to be excellent to each other? <laughs> and, and he went, and he like, he turned into Bill S. Preston, Esquire. He was like, I did, you know, and it's, and like I'm actually wearing a shirt that says be excellent to each other. on it. And, 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 uh, <laughs> sorry, everyone. And, uh, I knocked my microphone down and, um, and, and it's like, I did. And I was like, that's amazing. Like, you know, cause you know, you sort of the lessons I learned from that, normally from what Kian who said specifically about, uh, being about, you know, being kind to always and everything, but also, like, it also reminded me and gave me the, this lesson that yes, I was there as a producer, and yes, I see myself as a writer and a producer and a filmmaker, but it is critical, it is so important never to lose sight of the fact that you're also a fan. Hmm. Everybody in the industry, whether they're actors, carpenters, writers. Agents, lawyers, anybody who got into this industry got into it because they love movies or, or TV. And somewhere along the way, they learned that they don't have what it takes to maybe be a director, but they can build a set and amazingly. So this is their, get their part of bringing the thing forward. And all they get all the recognition they get is to be the teeniest, tiniest little fonts on the credits as it goes by, you know, <laughs> while you're waiting for the post-credit sequence in your Marvel movie. And <laughs> and so those people get, you know, those people get forgotten, but they are also sort of in a space. They're also doing the, they got into this thing that we all love also because they loved it at some point in time. And it's always important to remember that you're, that you can still be a fan. I, so that's why I stop being apologetic for the things that i like you know i mean i did say earlier that i consider uh is it cake to be sort of a guilty pleasure but generally speaking i have a philosophy as nothing's a guilty pleasure Mm -hmm. a pleasure is a pleasure you know i have great appreciation for the godfather and i have great appreciate appreciation for citizen kane and i thought everything everywhere all at once was the best film of 2022 so far um so these are these films that people consider of of artistic merit or whatever are of course great, but who is the first person to buy a ticket every time a Fast and the Furious movie comes out? This guy. <laughs> awesome.
0: those of you who are listening, he has an excellent Fast and <laughs> Furious. Uh, it's like a chrome plastic cup he's drinking out of.
1: Yeah, it's like you know. You, you I went and saw uh, Fast. I want to say the Fast Eight, I think, or Fast Nine. One of them. It looks like and, it. Yeah. And they and it was like you know you go, you know, you go there and you get like, get the fast and furious meal. So I got the fast and furious popcorn bucket. I got the fast and furious cup and, and I drink from it every day, but it's like, it's, I mean, I don't care if they're silly. I don't care if they're, I mean, I think that they're better than anyone ever lets on, but, but it's, it's, it's okay just to like something just because you like it. And, and it's excellent to like something that maybe is not that great, but that, came into your life at a time when you needed it most of all. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, there was a, look, I happen to think the movie Joe versus the volcano, which is universally sort of looked side-eyed at, like, you know, it's not a Tom Hanks's. it's not a top level Tom Hanks movie or whatever. I love that movie. And I will argue, I, not only do I think it's, is it a great movie? I think it is certainly the best Tom Hanks Meg Ryan movie, mm-hmm. but the, uh, but I love that movie on its own merits, but I came to love that movie because I was in a period, when I first saw it, I was in a period of my life where I felt like I was just dragging my feet to my day job every day and not doing anything inspirational. My life was sort of gray and dreary. And it's a story about a guy whose life is gray and dreary, and he gets a chance to go have a grand adventure, and he goes and does it, and his life becomes more colorful and vibrant and exciting and amazing. And I needed that message in my life at that time you know and so that movie meant something more to me and 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 i think that movies and tv and 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 uh and books and comic books and all these different music all these different forms of art are great for somebody at some point in their life because they needed whatever it was that it brings into the world and when you find the thing that you need at the same time that you need it it's a little piece of magic and i don't think it's fair to then call something like that a guilty pleasure yeah. for somebody it is a very important thing and it's not always something it's not always something like you know i saw this movie and it helped me not commit suicide i mean it could just be something as simple as something as simple as i had a bad day at school and then i came home and saw somebody had this movie called airplane and it gave me a laugh and all of a sudden i knew that things weren't as bad you know or you know we've all had these situations especially in the last couple of years which have been so challenging where it's like the last it's the the straw that breaks the camel's back the 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 fridge dies or you or the, you know you can't get the, the you can't unscrew the top off the mayonnaise jar or something and then you're like that is it you you shake your fist at the sky and say i am done this is the worst this, this is the end and then you go and you sit down and you turn on the TV and it's like, there's an episode of cheers on, or on Netflix or something. And it's like, man, to this day, I mean, I'm sorry. I keep on rambling. I hope you can edit your, your podcast, but, but it's, but it's a, but like, there's a, in the pilot episode of cheers, there's a background story where like, you know, the main story is going on where Diane's fiance is like leaving her at the bar and going off and trying to, And talking to his ex and it's more because more and more clear that he's going to just go back with the ex and the background story all the guys and cheers are having this like silly conversation what is the sweatiest movie of all time right and so they're talking like what do you think the sweatiest movie of all time is i don't know you know i think it's what could it be a rocky two yeah that's pretty good one you know that's pretty sweaty you know and then in comes this guy from the a story the, the the diane's fiance and she's like this like oh hand on her on her uh, forehead being like i can't deal with this anymore and she goes will you believe that these neanderthals are talking about the sweatiest movie of all time and he turns around and goes cool hand luke and they're like oh <laughs> yeah 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 and it's like it's like it's such a brilliant moment where it's like and i mean this was i, I first saw it back before i mean i was in my teens so i didn't know about story structure and a story b story and character arcs and all this other stuff but now i can sort of identify why the joke works yeah. but and why it's so brilliant but it doesn't matter why the fact is it is brilliant, you know? And, and it's just, it's like this, this moments, this capturing of lightning in the bottle, which if you, if back in the day before streaming, if you just happened to be like answering the phone or in the kitchen or answering a question for your kid or something, you would have missed that joke because it was broadcast and then it was gone. And, but it's like, but I, but it's like, but when you're a writer or you're, or a filmmaker or an artist of any kind, you have a moment like that. And your first thought is, that's brilliant. And your second thought is, I will never be that brilliant. I hate them. And the third thought is, <laughs> how did they do that? You know, And, and it becomes like, how did they do that? I want to be able to do something as magical as that. That joke, I mean, that is one of the most perfect jokes ever written. And it is just so fleeting. I mean, the most perfect joke ever written is, of course... Shirley you can't be serious, I am serious and don't call me Shirley um but, but it's a, but it's 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 such a magical thing to to be part I don't even remember what the question is that God is going here, but it's it's that capturing of voice and truth and humor and wonder that makes me a character who's set up to be the bad guy throughout makes me love the guy because he got cool hand Luke, you know and And it's, it's, it's one of those things that I'm that even on the page, I'm sure would have made you burst out laughing. And it's the magic is being able to like stimulate something in someone's imagination to, to so that they know what this joke is to make someone laugh just from words on a page to me is the truest thing of magic. You're not seeing someone step on a banana peel and fall down. You're describing something in such a way that gives it gives it voice and the the what the thing that made me want to be a writer i was reading the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy um douglas adams is great 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 book and there's a line in it that goes something like this the space the spaceship hung in the air in exactly the same way that bricks don't right and i'm like i'm reading this as a 12 year old i'm like exactly the same way that bricks don't like what and it's like, again, it's just like a little throwaway joke. And it has stuck with me for the last 40 years as this <laughs> like quintessential moment when I was sitting there in, I want to say it was shop class or something in 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 middle school, like put the book under the desk, like reading because I wasn't paying attention to school. And there it was. And I, and I like pointed it out to my buddy who also was reading. It's like, and I was like that's hilarious. That's hilarious. And it's, and it like, it was like a unifying kind of, thing that my friend and I could bond over and then as later on in life as i met other fans of it could also bond over it um and it all happened just because someone decided to say instead of just writing it hung in the sky saying it hung in the air in the same way that bricks don't I'm like that is a choice that was made across three extra words and utterly changed my life how can you turn away from that kind of like power and and influence and immortality that that brings
0: That's the absolute beauty of writing, of of being part of a writing circle, of of just sharing stories, is the the idea that anybody at any point can come up with something that will completely change your life. The Place Beyond the Pines is a film that a lot of people have not really seen. Mm -hmm. That changed my life at 21. I was bawling like a baby after that. I have watched it three times since. I own it. But it is one of those movies that you know it, it just there's certain lines that just that that hit you and i uh i love that you bring all this gravitas and this passion for for filmmaking and writing to your lectures and your seminars and having uh, like going back to uh you know the the I think it was the Toronto International Film Festival where you know Ken Rees was giving his advice to this person who's trying to break it in that is another big thing we do here is you know trying to see if our guests have any advice or like a a piece of wisdom they can impart you know uh upon our listeners whether it's somebody who's starting right now or has been in it for you know ten fifteen years and they're they're still trying to go in they're still trying to break through do you have anything that maybe you've held on to that you can you know bestow upon our listeners as well
1: yeah I mean I mentioned it earlier but I think that it's that the more that you can sort of not be a mercenary about your art, not be a merc, not, not trying to write something that will sell. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, don't think in those terms, write for the person you were when you first fell in love with writing or movies. That is your audience. That is your person. That who's you, that is who will, it will be the most satisfying to impress. Right. So don't worry about it getting made. Look, if if this were the 1950s, and the only way to get a movie made was to go to a studio because all the cameras were so heavy and film was expensive and whatever. I'd have different advice. We live in an age now where we all carry around in our pockets something that can make a movie.
0: Yeah.
1: You know? Um, so write something that you are passionate about. I promise, I assure you, the more you write what you're passionate about, the more that passion will reveal itself on the page.. Hmm i mean from a practical you know so and and nobody develops a film no one buys anything no one makes movie or whatever based on analytics look i can give you if you want 50 hours on structure and character arc and so on but structure and character arc and, and beats and and acts and all this stuff are important but only as a mechanism to develop emo- to excuse me to deliver emotion mm-hmm. right using these the the emotion the the passion the thing that makes you uh cry at the place beyond the pines and it makes me laugh at you know at joe versus volcano or, or or tear up at it or whatever the thing that makes us all stand up and cheer when rocky wins the fight or you know or or whatever it is um is what makes it happen that stuff is the soup Right, the, yeah. the emotions are the soup, structure and so on are the bowl, and you can't eat soup without a bowl, it goes <laughs> everywhere. So, soup is most effectively delivered in a bowl. Um, so you can take all the courses, please take my courses. You can take all the courses you want in structure and, and so on, and they're important. But focus on your emotion, focus on your passion. It's not going to happen with your first script. You know, you have to sort of learn to get past having to think about what you're doing, and stop thinking about it, and just writing in a natural kind of way, where it's, it's as where it's as natural as breathing. And next thing you know, you're you're writing things that you want to write because you're not sort of hung up by these other sort of hurdles that you need to get over. Um, the way that I envision it is like this: Look, I I don't get to do it over here in England that much, but I love to drive. Okay, when I'm stressed out i go for a drive and listen to music i've driven back and forth across america eight or ten times i when i'm stressed i just go for a drive when i'm happy i go for a drive i like to like throwing the dog in the back seat and just saying i'm going northwest and when i'm tired i'm going to get a hotel you know just get itchy feet i love it i love the experience of driving the the feeling of hitting the accelerator and the car takes off or a, a tight steering you know mechanism or or or, and all this stuff, the whole experience of driving, I love, but I don't know how to build a car. There are engineers and there are engineers and, and line workers and, 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 you know, and, and all these people who, who design and build and execute the pieces necessary to give me that experience that I love. And I don't know how they do it. All I know is that this is the experience that I love. That's our job as writers too. We need to recognize what the experience is of the reader and deliver that more so than than and, and learn how to build the car that delivers that experience, which is the screenplay. So so you know, I try to teach everybody the more you want to learn to write, the more you want to be aware that being a good writer is not about writing well. Being a good writer is about giving the reader an experience. Good writing is about reading. Good lecturing is about listening. Good acting is about watching. You know, it's, it's, if, if you, you could give a performance as an actor that you are very happy with, but if the audience isn't responding to it, then there's some disconnect going on there and their experience isn't going to be as good. Um, So it, it, it's becomes critical to look, like not get so bogged down in what those words say on the page and think when someone reads this what are they going to feel and it's hard to identify that especially in screenwriting because i think a lot of people early in their writing journeys see the screenplay as a series of instructions for the cast and crew zoom in on x joe enters joe says this sally eats eggs you know and i'm like but there's nothing in there to sort of indicate to me what i'm supposed to what emotion i'm supposed to feel from that part of the story joe enters tells me nothing right it's just like you you want all it tells me is you want joe in the scene and he's not there so he's got to come in you know um and so i think that the more that you sort of tell a story weave a tale uh regale me with your ideas and regale me with your story is going to make me have it's going to have so much fun just go ahead and read any like read your screenplay i advise to the listeners read your screenplay then go find it's out there on the internet shane black's um lethal weapon screenplay we're talking about this is the kind of house that i'm going to buy when you pay a million dollars for my screen this is a great place to this you you can be certain there's cocaine in every uh in every drawer in this house you that kind of thing it doesn't say the square footage of the house or what the colors are. It gives you like an emotional impression. Yeah. And um, I think that that's, that's the kind of, that's the beauty of it is that we can sort of get to people's imaginations and get make them regret the fact that the movie doesn't exist yet to the point that they just have to make it. You know, and that's yeah. sort of our job.
0: Oh, I love that. And I love that Lethal Weapon script. I, I think it was the first thing I read in college and I will yeah? read it at least once a year just to... Refamiliarize myself with oh yeah this is about having fun like
1: at the yeah. end of the day. <laughs> you know the, be- the beauty of it is i i mean the beauty of it is that i teach screenwriting and i teach a course on voice and we're, we're you know lethal weapon is far enough in the past now that a lot of people haven't seen it. a lot of people in their 20s and 30s haven't seen it yeah um so i show them a scene and i say okay write that scene and they all and and then i'm like okay here's how shane black wrote it and it's like Do you see how you can sort of, like, if, you know, I say, okay, Sally, you know, write that scene. And there's, she writes the scene and it's accurate, but it's like, there's not enough Sally in it. I need to make sure there's a lot of Bob in everything that I write so that when people read it, they're like, yeah, that's, that's a Bob Schultz script. Even if they don't like my style, they, at least it's not boring. You know what I mean? I mean, anybody who's reading scripts with an eye toward producing them has a reading list from floor to the ceiling that they have to get through. How do you stand apart? and the only way you stand apart the only thing that you have that nobody else has is yourself yeah. so just fill it with everything that you are your passions your hates your fears your your insecurities whatever it is that that serves it and write things in a way that nobody else can it's when i when i'm lecturing i very often you know i get introduced and i come out to my walk on song which is it ain't what you do. It's the way that you do it. That's what gets results. I mean, it's it's a great old song and everything, but it's also the philosophy that makes screenplays succeed. Yeah. Anybody can tell a story. If I take a, a group of 100 writers and say, here's your prompt, I'll they'll all write it, and I'll get 100 different stories. But the only way that... The thing that sets you apart is not your ideas. It is your specific human expression of that idea mm. and making people love you you think when I read the way that don't didn't mean that I was going to go pick up every book Douglas Adams wrote for the rest of his life of course I did you know because you start to love the writer and the way that the writing is done regardless of how how you relate to the story that is true of screenplays as well you mm. can tell a Tarantino story from a David Mamet story from a Phoebe Waller-Bridge story um And you can do it not just because of what they choose to write about, but how they write it. Even Jackie Brown, which was based on an Elmore Leonard book. Yeah. Sounds like Quentin Tarantino because Tarantino wrote it. Right. It's like, you cannot, Tarantino cannot write something that doesn't sound like himself. Mm -hmm. And we all need to get to that point, discovering what that voice is, that unique expression is, and then being confident enough in it, not to steer away from it, but dive right in head first with it.
0: Yeah. Oh, no, that, that's, 100% 100% I 100% agree with everything you just said. And I think that is finding your tone is probably the hardest thing to do. But yeah, once you find it, like you said, like, that's a Bob Schultz script, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. you, could, you could tell by the, the first half of the page. And I, I'm not sure if there's um anything that would correlate with this. But as far as you know, you being on the lecture circuit, and also you working on your your scripts, do you have anything that you can give a shout out to where you want to promote with this episode that I can uh, put into the show notes here, whether it's, uh, maybe something that, uh, you're really passionate about organization wise outside of your work or your work itself. Like, is there anything that I can, uh, I can promote for you?
1: Yeah. Um, why don't you like, thank you. You know, I, I love, I still do um, some courses online uh, as well as in person through the London Screenwriters Festival. So I'll send you a link that you can put in the notes. Sweet. Awesome. Um, and, uh, Also, look, this is something that you uh, that I'm just a fan of that uh, that I am not involved in. I'm just a supporter of. But uh, there's a movie that's having its world premiere at the end of August um, over here in London at Fright Fest. It's called uh, Power Tool Cheerleaders versus the uh, boy band of the Screeching Dead. (laughs) Uh, There's a character there's a chainsaw in it named bob and that's named after me so uh my latest credit on imdb is bob the chainsaw so oh my so if you have a chance to like support that one or in any way that you can support look look man i mentioned i love fast and the furious i love the yeah. marvel cinematic universe i love all these big things but any chance any one of your listeners get support independent films support mm-hmm. smaller things that aren't just advertised to you incessantly so things that are things that you need to seek out good films are worth being sought out um every now and then one of them will peak above the 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 horizon like everything everywhere all at once and whatever but um you know find small films go to film festivals that feature films that maybe won't get a, a wide release and see them and shake hands with the filmmakers and congratulate them on getting it done and um that has the added benefit that you will start to build a base of contacts of people who can help you when your thing is done.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, you know what? <laughs> we, uh, we haven't had a whole lot of like independent film here in, in Denver as far as like projects that are now coming out. So uh I, <laughs> you had me at power tool cheerleaders. Like yeah. I, I love, <laughs> I love those, those types of films. So I can't wait to check it out. Um. Yeah, supporting independent film is is absolutely huge, and uh, I can't wait to promote it. I can't wait to promote this episode. We have one more thing, obviously, we have to do before I yeah. uh, I let you go. But I just want to say, like, first and foremost, it was amazing meeting you. I'm glad we were able to finally do this, and uh I- I'm sure I'm gonna have you back at some point, right? Because we can't leave this at just what an hour and twenty minutes. I feel like
1: this. This, would, this has been honor. <laughs> it's been a real pleasure, and I mean, look, I I. uh I love Denver, and I I hope that everyone's healthy and safe over there. You know, here's a little tip, by the way. I, I meant to mention, yeah. um, just the more you travel, the more ex, ex, the more adventures you have, and whatever in uh, in your life, the more that you will become comfortable with interacting with people and meeting people and so on. So I recommend everyone get out there. I traveled around America so much, and I always I always one thing I always try to do is read like sports journalism. I think that it's a good sort of what sports journalists do is particularly like with coverage of a game is they take a three hour long game and they turn it into a narrative, right? This guy, this pitcher came in and he was already injured and he worked through the injury through this. this and, and so that's something that screenwriters tend to do a lot. You take a big story and try to ter- form it into a narrative. So it's good to sort of read that as a result of that, though, as a side effect, I have a pretty decent knowledge of sports teams all around America. Right. And so, I mean, I'm not an expert or anything. It's just, you know, you read and you you absorb stuff. So you meet somebody new. Look, if you're in L.A., nobody's from L.A. Right. And so I say I I meet you there and I can't say, oh, you're from you're like Denver. I'm like, oh, go Broncos or something. And they're like and all of a sudden, so they're like, oh, my God, somebody said something like from home. It makes you feel familiar. (laughs) So so like read things other than screenplays and so on so that you can sort of be a person of the world. It's, you know, hey, go Rockies. Hey, you know, go. I don't know. Bulldogs? Is there like the Colorado? Is that like a University of Colorado or something? I don't even know. Um,
0: uh, a buffalo.
1: Buffalo, <laughs> <laughs> Go buffalos. Um, so like just sort of the more that you sort of think of the other people that you're interacting with, not as members of the industry or people that can help you or – Bricks in a wall without any doors that are keeping you from the industry. Just remember that everyone you're talking to are just people. People are folks, and they like talking to you, and they like hearing your story. And if if you can't work on something together, that's fine. The worst case scenario is you have a little conversation with someone with no pressure. So just get out there and meet people. I'm sorry. I just can't stop talking about this. I love screenwriting so much.
0: <laughs> no, the, you, and you brought up like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm rambling so much. No, that's this. This show is all about like just just letting that passion out. And I think yeah, the listeners yeah. really appreciate it. But yeah, yeah, I'm not I'm not cutting any of this out. This is this is oh, no. perfect, man. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't think I have anything else I, I can add to it because it's been such like a clean wrap up. But I think we should, we should just dive in uh into mm-hmm. our awkward goodbye which I, I think you may have listened to once or twice on the on the show but i assume you've seen wayne's world yeah uh, yeah perfect so i'm going to give you a silent three two one countdown and when i point to you just give me your best verbal or nonverbal. some people like to do that too awkward goodbye and then i will sign off from there okay you ready ready let's go all right buddy in
1: Thanks, everybody. Goodbye. I love you, but not in that really weird way when some stranger tells you they love you and not in kind of any kind of uncomfortable kind of way, just in that way that all humans, should kind of love each other, or as Kiana would put it, be kind always and look out for other people.